Again, we're starting into John 18. And last week we finished John 17, the Lord there in the upper room. And all of John 17, remember, it was the Lord uh, praying to the Father. And we looked at that over three weeks. And last week we saw that the Lord was just really making it clear that he wasn't just praying for his disciples at that time, but he was praying for all of those who would come to believe in him, including us, which is pretty awesome. That the Lord prayed for us when he walked on the earth, and he's praying for us right now. He lives to make intercession for us. And we talked about that. In fact, we'll touch on that again this morning, that the Lord was a man of prayer while I walked the face of the earth. And indeed, we are called to be holy as he is holy. We are called to be imitators of Christ, and we are called to be a people of prayer. And that's an area, listen, that we don't want to grow lazy and that we don't want to grow apathetic in, that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We were reminded of that last week. We'll be reminded of that again this morning. And then we saw Jesus as well praying again about the unity of the Father and the Son, the unity of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the call for us to walk in unity with Him. And then out of that, we can walk in unity with one another to His glory and to be a witness to a world around us that desperately needs Him. And then we saw the Lord closing out that prayer with His desire for us to be where He is. And we talked about the fact that indeed the Lord is going to return one day and we will meet the Lord in the air and we will be with him forever and ever. And we don't want to lose sight of that. We don't want to be in that place where we're like, well, you know what? I thought the Lord was coming in the year of the Y2K, the year 2000, and now here we are 20 years later. So indeed, he must not be coming now. And boy, there's a lot of people that mock and scoff the coming of the Lord, though those things the Bible talked about would unfold before his coming just seem to be uh, increasing more and more. And so we want to be a people about the Lord's business and know that, listen, he's faithful to his word. And he said he'd come the first time and he came and listen, he's going to come a second time. And so we want to ask the Lord to stir our hearts in that truth and be a people who would rejoice in him each day and also pray Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. Can we say amen to that today? Well, as we start into John chapter 18, we see that our Uh, that the Lord talked about was upon him. And this morning, we'll see the Lord entering into the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll see the disciples there with the Lord. We'll talk about the fact that they sung a hymn as they crossed over, and then the Lord prayed while the disciples slept, and there's a lot to talk about there. And then we'll see Judas showing up, not with him or them, but with them. He shows up with the enemies of Christ and talk about the fact that, listen, you either for the Lord or you're against him. There is only two camps, the camp of the Lord and the camp of those that are against the Lord. And it's just a sad scene seeing Judas betraying the Lord. And then it's interesting as Judas shows up with the Pharisees and with a troop of soldiers. And it says that they come with lanterns and torches and with weapons at The Lord's words just saying, I am he, they all fall upon their backs. And it's just a little preview of judgment. And throughout scripture, we see worshipers on their face and enemies upon their back. And again, there's only two camps, those on their face and those that will be upon their backs. And then finally, as we close out our passage this morning, Lord willing, down in verse 
10 and 11, as the Lord knows what's about to come upon him, we're going to see Peter once again being mindful of the things of man, not of the things of God. And dude takes out a sword and cuts off someone's ear. And you're just like, what in the world's going on here? And yet in the midst of Peter being impulsive and Peter being stirred by his flesh and really the enemy, we see the Lord cleaning up his mess. And praise God, we have a Savior that cleans messes up. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? And uh, beautifully, as the Lord has uh, so much upon him, we see him still putting others above himself. So let's read the text here, uh, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll get into this and just pray we leave here changed, knowing our Lord more and leave here uh, more like him. And so we need the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit for that to be the case. So right here in John 18, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, "'Whom are you seeking?' Verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of whom those you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put away, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Now notice verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words and we've looked at those words that he had spoke to them and to the Father over the last several weeks there in the upper room. As he had taught them, he had taught them about abiding in him. He had taught them about the work of the Holy Spirit. He had talked to them about the communion table. He talked to them about prophecy that was being fulfilled, that would be fulfilled. And then again, John 17, he had prayed to the Father. And they had heard that and been taught even in that prayer. And so that's what's being referred to there, the words that he had spoken. And then they went out from the upper room, and he went out with his disciples. And this would be the last time until his resurrection that he would go out with his disciples. Now, he had been telling them that, again, the time was coming soon when they would see him no more, that there would be a last time they would go out together. Yet even here at the end, it seems that they still did not fully believe that. Even the Lord kept telling them over and over what was going to happen. And I think that's clearly seen in the fact that Peter took his sword out of his sheath and he cut off the high priest servant's ear. The Lord had told them everything that was going to unfold. And that didn't include them cutting off ears, but It included him being arrested. He said, I'd be delivered into their hands. I'll be crucified. Yet three days later, I would resurrect. 
And so he told them this would come, but they still didn't seem to believe it. And yet, listen, the Lord has told us, as he told them, I'll have a last day, but you'll see me again. The Lord has told us we're going to have a last day. And listen, that last day, it could be today. And I think we need to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do we believe the scriptures when it says that it's an evil thing to say, I'm going to do this today and I'm going to do that tomorrow when we don't even know what this day holds or what tomorrow holds? And the scripture says that we should say the Lord willing. We want to be a people that are considering our latter end. And listen, this isn't a call to have a morbid mindset. And it's not a call to be obsessed with death, but absolutely, listen, Jesus openly spoke about his death and then his resurrection, and he wasn't fearful of that because, indeed, he knew what would unfold according to the will of the Father, but he was very aware of it. And yet the disciples didn't seem to really want to deal in that and think about that. And we need to be a people that, again, have the mindset of Christ, a people that really have a sober mindset, that consider our latter end. And Jesus and the scriptures oftentimes talk about a people void of counsel. In fact, Deuteronomy 32, 28, it says, for they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them Oh, that they would be wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. And we want to be a people that do the same, that consider our latter end, that my latter end could be today. Oftentimes we talk about finishing well. Here we are at the end of the year, and hopefully we want to finish this year well. But listen, how many times are we not even considering the fact that my life might end sooner than later. Am I striving with the Lord to finish well? You know, am I striving in the sense to understand the finish line might be closer than I realize? Because I think sometimes we can think that's far off and I'll get around to serving the Lord and I'll get around to being a person of prayer and I'll get around to serving others and the body of Christ. I'll get around to giving to the Lord and I'll get around to being a worshiper and so forth. And listen, we need to get about the business of the Lord today because he has told us again in his word that our time here is very short. It's a shadow and it is a vapor and we want to make the most of each day for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting from Matthew's gospel, we read as they went out of the upper room and as they passed the brook Kidron and then went up to the Mount of Olives where they would find a garden there where Jesus often went with his disciples called Gethsemane, that as they went out, they worshiped the Father. In Matthew 26, 30, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And they no doubt sung a psalm unto the Father. And there's different thoughts and ideas what psalm they may have sung. We don't know that, so I'm not going to get into that. But one thing we do know is that there was sorrow that had already come upon Jesus. He had talked in that upper room how he had a heavy heart. And then we read about him in the garden being very sorrowful and deeply distressed to the point where he even began to sweat blood, which we know that's a picture of someone just having distress upon their heart to the point where 
it is what maybe we would call a broken heart. And there's deep distress upon the Lord. Listen, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And he emptied himself of many of the, the not attributes, but of the, the, the workings of God. He never ceased being God, but he emptied himself and subjected himself to, you know what, being a man. And with that, he knew that the wrath of the Father for the sins of all mankind was about to be placed upon him. He knew he was about to be delivered into the hands, again, of the Jews, the religious Jews, and they were being fueled by the enemy, and they desperately wanted to rip him apart. He had a deep, heavy, heavy heart and a heavy burden, and yet, what did he do in the midst of that? He went out and he sung a hymn, and he worshiped the Father, knowing everything that was going to come upon him. And listen, there's a lesson for us here. We want to be a worshipful people, not just in the good times, We don't want to be a people that just say, praise the Lord when blessings unfold. Now, when blessings unfold, let's say, you know what, praise the Lord, praise God. Can we we say amen to that? I mean, blessings are good. But listen, at all times, we want to be a people who worship the Lord. The Bible talks about the evil day in Scripture. It talks about certain days, certain times that you're going to go through where things are cranked up, where there's even more trials where there's even more tribulation. We think about Job in the scripture, and we see that there was no one like him in the east. He was a man that was righteous because he had faith in the Lord. He feared God and was greatly blessed. And yet we see the enemy, you know what, talking to God and God talking to the enemy about Job and what a wonderful servant he was. And Satan says, that's only the case because you've put a hedge around him. Remove that hedge and watch, he'll curse you. And so the Lord took that hedge down for a purpose. In fact, we'll touch more on that here in a second, that the enemy is limited in what he can do, but the Lord will allow him to do certain things to bring forth a purpose. And we see there in Job 1, you know, this great distress coming upon Job and his children losing his life and him losing his livelihood and so forth. And yet, look what we read there. It's very Christ-like. In Job 1.20, it says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, Notice here, and he fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And listen, in the midst of blessing, we want to worship the Lord. And in the midst of distress, we want to be a people who worship the Lord and give him glory and honor and praise. And we see our Lord doing that. And now some would step back and say, how can I do that, though, because it's so difficult? I believe Jesus was able to do that in part because he knew by faith that the Father reigns and he knew everything that was unfolding would be worked for the good and glory of God Almighty. That absolutely he was going to the cross and the wrath due man and his rebellion was going to be placed upon him. But he also knew that three days later, he was going to resurrect from the grave and defeat sin and death and Satan and make the way of salvation for mankind whom he created and loved so much, who had rebelled, who needed a bridge back. And absolutely, listen, in the midst of distress, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of trials, 
as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be a people who know the scriptures, who know that the Lord does not allow, you know what, vain things just to happen in our life, but we want to stand on the promises of God. We want to stand on that Romans 8, 28 that we talk about so often. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Do you love God this morning? And for those who are called according to his purposes. So he's talking about believers here with a calling on their life because they have faith in the Lord. People who love the Lord, seen in their life, seen in, again in, in, in their desire to honor him with their life. He works all things for good. So in the midst of the trials, in the midst of tribulations, in the midst of distress, does anyone here ever get distressed? Pressures? A lot of pressures in life, isn't there? Let's worship the Lord. Let's go out of our home not kicking rocks with our heads down, but singing a hymn, singing praise to our God, because indeed he is on the throne and he's working all things for good. Even if we don't figure it out on this side of eternity, listen, when we stand before him, we're going to say, oh, that's how you use that for good, Lord. All the more I want to praise you and give you glory, and I got all eternity to do that. So we read here that he went out with the disciples and they went over the book Brook Kidron. And it's interesting as you Look at the book, the, the Brook Kidron and the Kidron Valley in scriptures. There's some pictures of Jesus and a picture, some pictures, some prophetic pictures of this time. This was the same brook that King David, who was a type of Christ, went out and crossed over when Absalom, his son, betrayed him. And it was a picture of the Messiah to come. Because now we see Jesus crossing that same brook as he's being betrayed by one of his disciples. It's also the same brook that King Asa, Hezekiah, and Josiah, when they brought reformation to Israel, they brought reformation and they went in and they destroyed the idols of the land. And they brought a revival to the land. And they took those idols and it says they burnt them and they grounded them to powder. And then they took those ashes and they threw them into the brook Kidron where they could be washed away. And here's Jesus walking over the brook Kidron, and what's he doing? He's going to be betrayed, but as he's betrayed, he's going to wash away our sins and make that way of salvation. And it's so awesome when, you know what, you get more and more familiar with the New Testament, you read the Old Testament, and you see more and more pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ, because listen, he's preaching every book of the Bible. And then they come over again to this garden called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane means to be pressed. It means an olive press. And I've had the privilege to go to that garden uh, four or five times now. And it's, it's a pretty awesome, you know, site because you go in there and there's olive trees that are actually 2,000 years old. And they look like dinosaurs is what they look like. And they were the same trees that were there when these things unfolded. And you know what, the olives, you know, that you see there on the Mount Olives, again, it's a picture of what Jesus was about to go through. He was about to be pressed down for us. Again, he was about to take the wrath through us upon himself. And there in that garden, listen, he greatly felt the pressure of all of this deeply upon his soul and his person. I want to read here in Matthew 26, 36 through 41. A little bit about 
what went on in that garden before Judas showed up to betray the Lord. Matthew 26, 36, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be John and James, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Notice the exclamation point there. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And just real quick here. Listen, I know we're going through John, not Matthew, but this is where Scripture gives light to Scripture. And just real quick here, before we move on to Judas showing up to betray the Lord, just a few things I want to point out about that prayer and that time in the garden. Again, first of all, something we've already touched on. We've been touching on the last several weeks. We touch on it again this morning. I just touched on it. Jesus was deeply distressed, and yet he worships. And then what's he do? He falls on his face and he prays. And again, we want to be a people doing the same thing. In Luke 18, 1, it says, Jesus spoke a parable to them. Then men ought to always pray and not lose heart. And I just have it pressed on me that, listen, that these truths need to be proclaimed more and more and more because there are so many people that are losing heart. You see it happening all around us. Sadly, I see it not only happening in the world, but people who profess Christ, saying, I'm losing heart. People even coming to the point, I've had so many conversations with people over the last few months, and I think these were people with good intentions. These are people that, you know what, they're asking good questions, but the question that's come up to me several times is, Is it okay if I get into a place of deep pain and sorrow for me to take my own life? Being in a place where obviously they're losing heart or thinking I'm going to come to a place where I lose heart. I come to a place where, you know, surely it must be okay for me to make that decision. And it's sad because, listen, a lot of that's come from the indoctrination of a fallen world. God's the one who gives. God the one who's, who takes away. Did not Job just say that? We talked about a few weeks ago where his wife, when that next wave of distress would come upon him, would say, curse God and die. And he says, you speak of one of the foolish women. And it says, in all that, Job didn't sin. Listen, the Lord has called us to be a people who do not lose heart. Those thoughts should not even be in our mind. Can we not do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us? Even if it means in our last days, maybe there is some pain and sorrow and suffering. And listen, I don't wish that upon anybody. I don't wish that upon myself. We want to be compassionate to folks in those places. But does not God work all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes? And I can tell you this. 
complicit in pain and sorrow, suffering that saints have gone through while worshiping, while praying, while their eyes on Jesus Christ. I have seen so many people come to know the Lord because they said, listen, I've been watching you your whole life, and now here in this fire, I still see you praising that God of yours. Finally, I'm ready to hear about him. I'm finally ready because I see you in the fire worshiping God. I see you not losing heart to the very end. And so we want to learn from the Lord here. Listen, we want to walk in truth. We want to be a people that are dependent upon him. And here's the Lord deeply distressed in that garden. He falls on his face and he prays. Also, we see here the Lord asking others to pray with them. He selects Peter, James, and John, and he says, come and watch with me. That's the Lord asking them to pray with him, to pray for themselves that they won't fall into temptation, as well asking them to pray for him. Let's be a people that take Jesus's lead in that. It's okay to ask people to pray for you. Can we say amen to that this morning? Just over the years, I, my mind's baffled by how many folks I know that were going through you know, issues that deeply distressed themselves, and yet they never told anybody about it. They said, well, I want to be private in this matter. Well, man, listen, there's, there, there, there's people in the body of Christ that want to partner with you in prayer, that want to stand with you, that want to intercede for you. Listen, pray for me all you can, and then a little bit more. I welcome it myself. We see Jesus doing that. Now, one side note with that is that Jesus asked them to pray, and they unfortunately quickly fade. And I think sometimes some people get discouraged because they ask others to pray, and they quickly fade. Let's not be a people that when someone asks us to pray for them, that we say, oh, I'm going to do it, and we don't do that. That's why it's always good to say, hey, let's pray right now, so you at least get one prayer in. <laughs> we should ask others for pray, prayer, but listen... If, if, if they're not praying with you, don't be discouraged because the Lord stood praying alone in that garden and the Father saw him through and he can deliver by few or many or even by one. And I think about Lot when he was delivered, it says God remembered Abraham's prayer. It doesn't say Abraham in the prayer group. He remembered Abraham's prayer. And James 5, 16 says the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not righteous men. Now, I think it's all the better when we get together and pray fervently. But maybe it's just you on an island. Well, listen, God hears the prayers of a fervent man, a fervent woman, whose righteousness is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it availeth much. And then also we see there that the Lord asked the Father for his will to be done. He's not demanding his own will. Let your will be done, Father. We want to pray in the same manner. Lord, let your will be done in my life. And then he says, listen, let this cup pass from me if there's any other way. If there's any other way, let's go with that route. Nevertheless, let your will be done. And this is the Lord once again establishing that he is the only way to salvation. I mean, what kind of father would send their son to be crucified to take the wrath of a holy God to put it upon his son just to make another road to heaven. That would be, you know, a, a, a cruel thing. But this was done because it was the only way. And Jesus willingly went 
knowing it was the only way. But we see him again as a man saying, if there is any other way, let's go that route. Nevertheless, let your will be done. Indeed, the Lord again establishing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And this is why, listen, when you see those those coexist bumper stickers, that might be someone with a good intention, but that's a blasphemous sticker there. Because that's saying Jesus went to the cross just to make another way. There's all these ways, and then, yeah, the Father sent his Son just to make another way. That tramples the blood of Jesus underfoot. Jesus is the only way because only Jesus dealt with the issue that separates man from God, the issue of sin. And that's why we need to be a people that stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim it and get the truth out there so people could get born again and get saved. Now, we've established a lot here in the verse In the first verse, notice verse 2, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Now, we saw last week in in one of the passages that Jesus called Judas a devil. And Judas, a devil, knew about the business of the Lord, and Judas, a devil, wanted to disrupt it. And you need to know this morning that there is a devil... And he knows about our business with God. Listen, we don't need to fear that. I know some people say, well, when I pray, I whisper because I don't want the devil to hear. I just pray in my mind because I, you know, I don't want the devil to hear. He knows about our business with God and he wants to disrupt it. But that doesn't mean we need to walk in fear. Now, the Lord knows what's going on. And again, what do we see the Lord doing in the midst of this? We see the Lord praying. And it's interesting, if you read Ephesians 6, it talks about spiritual warfare. It talks about the armor of God. And then it talks about our offensive weapons and what are they? The word of God and what? Prayer. Ephesians six seventeen. take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Again, there is an enemy. There is a real spiritual war that's raging around. It's raging around right now in this place. The enemy, again, knows about the business of God. He knows we came here today to be about the business of God. I hope that's why we're here, right? To worship the Lord, to get in the word of God, to fellowship, to encourage one another. And listen, he wants to disrupt that. He wants to disrupt your devotions tomorrow morning. He wants to disrupt your witness. He wants to disrupt your marriage. Can you believe that? He wants to disrupt you in your singleness. He wants to disrupt you in your home and raising your children. Jesus knew the enemy wanted to disrupt. And what do we see Jesus doing in this? Even knowing that this devil was coming to betray him, we see the Lord in prayer. Also, we need to know again that the Lord was allowing this to happen to be used for good. Just like with Job. Those things that happened, God used for good. Through all of that, Job got a greater revelation of who God was. It became even more effective in the ministry that he had called him to. And the Lord had told them ahead of time, this would happen, and I'm telling you ahead of time this is going to happen. One will betray me, so when it happens, in fact, he says it in John 
13, 18, now I told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. So the Lord was even allowing this to happen to build the disciples' faith. He was using it for good. And it's the same for us. Listen, the enemy runs amok, but he is on a chain. And the Lord will only allow him to do so much. And in the life of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes, listen, he's going to use even that spiritual warfare for good, for our good and for his glory. So listen, don't lose heart in the midst of it. Instead, what should you do? Pray. Get in the word of God. Stand on the scriptures. Now, verse 3, it says, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops... And officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. It looks like something out of a Frankenstein movie or something going on here. You know, the, the pitchforks and sickles and the whole like. They're, they're coming out here against Jesus. And how sad Judas, who had walked with Jesus, is now against Jesus. And we should ask the question, how in the world did this happen? And I think the scripture shows us how it happens. Listen, this man loved mammon more than he loved God. We read about him being the treasure in the ministry of the Lord solely so he could steal out of the, out of the, out of the money box. And remember we saw Mary as she took that perfume that could have been sold for 300 denarii and she put it upon the Lord to anoint his body for his burial. Remember Judas attacked her, but really he was doing that to... You know, to, to, to voice his protest that that had been used to worship God when it should have been sold so he could have stolen from the money box. And then we saw the Lord selling out Jesus for 30 measly pieces of silver. Now, listen, this was a process. This is something that happened over a course of time where Perhaps in the beginning, he was wavering. Do I want to follow the Lord or do I want to be one who worships money? And you can only be there so long. Listen, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You can't serve mammon and God. And he gave himself over to mammon. And no doubt that root grew and grew and grew and moved him to a place where now he's against the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, we need to heed the warning. Because these types of temptations, they run amok. And I don't know anyone's heart, but I've seen over and over and over and over again in 25 years of ministry, people getting to that place where they deny the Lord or they even come against Jesus because they allow mammon to get hold of their heart. They allow idolatry to get hold of their heart, sin to get hold of their heart, and they become worshipers of those things instead of being worshipers of God. Notice 1 Timothy 6, 6, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And notice here, it is certain we can carry nothing out. We're certain of that, right? Not a lot of funerals. No one carried anything out with them. It says, Having food and clothing with, this, with these, we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and notice perdition. And what did Jesus call Judas? The son of perdition, the son of destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, not money itself, but the love of money, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And we know that Judas, even after all this would unfold, would go and he would hang himself and pierce himself through that which he thought would bring a joy, satisfaction, and life left him wanting. That's never the case with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice as well, listen, how emboldened that Judas has gotten. He's blinded and he's emboldened to the point where he leads out a detachment and troops that were given to him by these self-righteous Pharisees to come and have the Lord arrested. They show up with lanterns and torches and weapons and so forth. And again, it's just a reminder that unchecked sin can grow to the point of betraying the Lord in ways we never thought possible. Let's take heed to our hearts. Song of Solomon 2.15 says, catches the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. I mean, we talked about abiding in, the, in Christ will bear much fruit. Well, listen, there's little foxes, there's little spins, sins that want to come in and ruin that abiding in the Lord. And we see it in Judas's life. Verse four, it says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him. And listen, he knew those things that would come upon him because he knew the scriptures. He knew it was prophesied. He went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? And so, again, it was no surprise to Jesus. Notice as well, Jesus, knowing all that would come upon him, he went forward with it. He went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? It doesn't say that he ran from it. It doesn't say he got cold feet. But he embraced what was happening. He knew that he was about to lay down his life, and he embraced it. And I think there's a great truth for us here. Listen, it's very freeing to walk in this same mindset. In fact, we're called to walk in the same mindset. We're called to be a people that hold loosely to the things of this life. We're called to be a people that, listen, we don't count our lives dear to ourselves. We thank the Lord for our life. We know in Christ, praise God, we have eternal life. We know who we are in the Lord, but we understand these things around us are passing away. And you don't see Jesus cleaving to the things of this life, but knowing what the Father had called him to, willing to lay down his life to bring eternal life to us who would come to have faith in the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Notice 1 Corinthians 7, 29, it says, but I say this, brethren, the time is short. It's even shorter now. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as if they've had none. And those who weep as if they do not weep. And those who rejoice as if they do not rejoice. And those who buy as if they do not possess. And those who use this world not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. Now this isn't the Lord telling us to neglect our marriage. (laughs) It's not the Lord saying to be a bad steward of things. But it's the word of God telling us to have an eternal mindset. Not to get weighted down with the cares of this world. Yeah, tend to them. Seek the Lord first and all these things will be added unto you. But it's telling us here not to cleave to this stuff. It's what the Lord told us in Matthew 16, 24. 
If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And listen, we find life when we thank the Lord for what we have, but we don't let what we have possess us. When that's not the main thing. When we're in a place where we're like, listen, if I have to let go of this, you know, today for the sake of the cause of Christ, so be it. I'm not defined by this stuff. This stuff's not my security. This is not where life's found. These are blessings from God. Thank you, Lord. But I want to be about the business of the Lord. I want my eyes upon him. I want my security to be in him. I want my rest to be in him. I want to move forward by faith, not get restricted by fear. This is what Paul meant when he said in Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And Paul had just said, listen, I thank God for what I have, but I'm not cleaving to this stuff. I don't count my life here dear to myself. I'm not going to be like a worldly man that just comes here to build up his treasure on earth. If I have treasure on earth, thank you, Lord. I want to use that for your glory, but I want to be about your business. I want to walk by faith, not be restricted by fear. And then the Lord asked the question, whom are you seeking? And again, this should be a question we ask ourselves every day. Who am I seeking? I think it goes along right with what we just talked about. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these other things will be added unto you. And it's amazing how when we walk by faith saying, I just want to trust in the Lord. I'm not going to anchor myself down with this stuff and the worry of it and so forth. Again, I want to be a good steward of it, but I'm going to seek God first. It's amazing how those things fall together. But when we kind of push God to the side and say, I got to cleave to all this stuff, the opposite happens. Verse five, and they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now listen, they're seeking Jesus, but sadly, it's for all the wrong reasons. I hope we're seeking Jesus for all the right reasons this morning. They're seeking him for all the wrong reasons. And he says, I am he, and notice that he is capitalized. Yes, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And yet Judas is not with him, but Judas is sadly with them. And I'm going to tell you this morning, biblically, there's only two camps. There's either him or them. That's it. Where are you? Are you with him? Is he your Lord? Can you say amen to that? Then walk with him, abound in him, abide in him. He's good, is he not? Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he who is not with me is against me and who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And then he said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other or he, he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And Judas said, I'm gonna serve mammon. I'd rather put my, listen to this. He said, I'd rather put my trust and my hope in 30 pieces of silver than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look at that and you say, how foolish. Maybe 300 pieces of silver. Because what's the difference, right? 
Isn't that what the world's chasing? Isn't that what we hear? It's an injustice because they don't have as much as other people have. Oh, the tragedy. But neither people have the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not even a greater tragedy when that's the case? Verse 6, now when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Listen, worshipers willingly and desperately fall on their face before the Lord. They do it willingly. We saw Jesus even went in the garden and he willingly fell on his face before the Father. These enemies, though, listen, they got knocked down on their backs against their will. And that's a preview of Judgment Day. You think this would get their attention, right? They got their little weapons here and their pitchforks and so forth. And he says, I am he. And bam, they're all laid out. And yet they get up and they dust themselves off. And he says to them in verse 7, then he asked them again, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, why would he ask him twice? It's my opinion, because he's patient and long-suffering. He's given them another opportunity. Opportunity now to fall on their knees. And yet not a single one of them does. Listen, every single one of them, they make the choice to still stand their ground. And make no mistake, listen, no one will be thrown into hell. People choose that. To break away from the crowd, listen, it means moving away from the mob mentality. And there's so many people that are unwilling to do so. Verse 8, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he, therefore if you seek me, let these go their way that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. And again, it's amazing because even in the Lord's most difficult moment, what's he do? He considers others more important than himself. He does the opposite of what we do so oftentimes when we face adversity. You know, you kind of go into that survival mode, you know, like a an animal chained, you know, up back in a corner or whatever. And, and we kind of go into selfish mode and it's just, I got to survive and so forth. It's, it's our natural fleshly tendency to do that. But Jesus, even in the most difficult time, he does the opposite. Philippians 2, 3, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And again, it says here as well that this was happening according to what the Lord said earlier. Not one of these will be lost according to his prophetic word. And praise God in Christ Jesus, the same is true for us. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.12. For this, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed and then Paul says, for I know whom I believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. And listen, the question isn't whether the Lord will keep us or not. He will. The question is, do we really believe in him? That's the bigger question. And listen, if you believe in him, you're saved, you're born again, he'll keep you. But do you believe in him? Is he your Lord? And you're like, no, well, he can be your Lord now. I'm calling his name. He's ready to meet you where you're at. Now, notice 10 and 11. 
Then Simon Peter, whenever it says that, you know something, something crazy is probably about to happen. It's not just, you know, our name there. It's not just, then Steve Shively. And you're like, oh my goodness, what's about to happen here? Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And again, Peter still doesn't get it. This is why it's better to, to, to pray than to fall asleep when it's time to pray. He's still thinking the thoughts of man. Remember earlier on when they're getting ready to head towards Jerusalem, they're getting ready to head towards Jesus fulfilling Passover. He took him up there to Caesarea Philippi and it says in Mark 8, 31, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days later rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he turned around and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. He just got a whole upper room teaching of what was about to happen. And he forgot how quickly we forget. He misread the Lord when he said, I am he and they all fell down. And here he is trying to unleash the military Messiah. This is it. Let's take out our swords. Lord, come and follow us. Let's conquer these guys and set up kingdom here on earth. Mindful of the things of man, it opens up a door for an influence of Satan. And it leads him to a very, very foolish act. Listen, he cuts off a man's ear, a guy named Malchus. We even know his name, which rubs salt in the wound even all the more, right? You could ask the question, why this guy? Well, listen, the guy probably baited Peter. And someone might say, well, you don't know that. Listen, he's there with a weapon in his hand. He's baiting Peter. (laughs) He's there with the mob. And Peter foolishly takes the bait. Listen, there's a time biblically for self-defense. That's not what's going on here. Peter foolishly took the bait. You know one of the tactics of the enemy is to bait you into a foolish act? To get you stirred up and so forth, and then you do something. And in a way, Peter's stance is a righteous one. I'm going to defend the Lord, but the way he goes about it is all wrong. Hear this this morning. Listen, the Lord's sword is always better than ours. James 1.19, so then, my brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And Peter's act here does not produce anything righteous whatsoever. Instead of being quick to ask and listen, he asks, but then he just asks, he acts without, without, you know, it moving at all. Luke twenty two forty nine says tells us this. It says, when those stood around him, saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? 
Shall we strike? And then verse 50 of Luke 22 says, And one of them struck the servant's high priest and cut off his ear. He asked, but he didn't listen. He didn't wait. He asked, and then he just acted. Make sure that you wait for the answer before you act. And then John spills the beans and tells us who it is. You know, Luke's like, well, you know, we're not going to name names here. And then John's like, yeah, Peter did it. <laughs> but notice as we close here, listen, this is, this is how awesome our God is. Peter does something very foolish that, listen, it could have affected the course of his entire life. I'm sure that it did anyway. They actually did have cause at this point to put him on a cross. That's the high priest's servant. It's just not someone there. Jesus graciously and mercifully cleans up Peter's mess. He gently rebukes Peter, put away your sword. Oh Lord, help us to do the same. And then he says to Peter, he reminds him, shall I not drink of the cup which my father has given me? Again, this is what he came to do, to lay down his life. And now here's Peter with man's mindset. Again, we know before when he had that mindset, Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. There's a lesson there. Listen, Satan will do whatever he can to keep you from dying to yourself. He says, where's someone here that, that's, that's aggressive and zealous? Let me tempt him. I'm going to use Malchus here to give him the, you know, the stank eye, to get him to take that sword out. We got to stop this from happening because Satan took some joy in this, but he also feared that he might resurrect on day three. Last thing he wants you to do or me to do to learn to die to ourselves. But then amazingly, listen, in the midst of everything happening, we read in Luke 22 that Jesus picks Malchus's ear up and he heals the guy. Luke twenty-two fifty, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this, and he touched his ear and healed him. Now, this crowd's been knocked down at him saying, I am. Peter takes the bait, cuts off the guy's ear, and then Jesus, he obviously picked it up because it says he touched his ear, and he heals him. And you think at this point it would be a revival would happen, right? (laughs) You think now they'd be on their faces. Instead, listen, they continue forward in this act of rebellion. And Lord willing, we'll continue on in this next week, but listen, let's not overlook the cleanup job that Jesus does for Peter. He picks up this guy's ear and he heals him. To me, listen, this puts everything in proper perspective. It moves, this moves me because I know I have made so many messes in my lifetime. And if you're there saying, well, I, I don't make messes, You've, you might have made more than me, and I've made a lot of them. This moves me from a mentality of, it's not fair, Lord, to thank you, Jesus, for saving a wretch like me. Yeah. 
Thank you, Lord, for cleaning up messes. I thank you, Lord, that even when I make messes, I can say, oh, Lord, forgive me. And I can pray, oh, Lord, please help, please clean up the mess. The Bible says that we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and I believe that's communicating to us. Not only does he forgives us, but as, again, we walk with him, he wants to go in and, and begin to clean up the mess, to clean it up. What an awesome God. He washes us and then he says, now let's come clean up the mess. I marvel at it myself. Pretty awesome God we serve. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your word and your goodness for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, that you did what you said you were going to do, that you went to the cross of Calvary for us, Lord. Lord, help us to glean God from this text. And God, we pray you give us just unction and power from upon high to act on it. Oh, Lord, help us, Lord, to abound in our prayer lives. Help us to learn to walk by faith, God, and not get restricted in fear. And Lord, let us be a people, God, that just rejoice in you all the more, knowing, God, that you are a, you, we're mess makers and you are the mess cleaner upper. Thank you, Lord. And listen, as we close here this morning, again, we talked about there's two camps. You're either with him or you're with them. The Lord talks about two paths. He said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many go in there by it and narrow is the gate that leads to life and there's few that find it. It's not that all aren't called. Listen, it's the Lord's desire that all will come to know him. And the Bible says, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And indeed, it's a free gift, but it is a free gift that will cost you your life. But in it, listen, you're going to gain life. If you haven't called on him, today is the day of salvation. And maybe you're here this morning and saying, Steve, I want to do that. I want to call on Jesus. I want to ask him to be my Lord and Savior. I would love to lead you in a prayer right now. Just a simple prayer. Calling upon the Lord. And if you know him, I want to invite you to pray with any this morning. Maybe we all know him here, but listen. Maybe there's some here who don't. And they're saying, I, I, I want to call upon his name. We want to pray with you right now. We stand with you. We're all just sinners that need the grace of God. Just pray with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven, Lord. I want to turn from my sin. I want to put my faith in you to be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the grave to give me life. Please give me that life. Be my Lord and my God all my days and help me right where I am. I thank you, Lord.
we just praise your name, God. We bless you. I pray, God, that we could, we could just finish well in this, this time here that we've assembled at, that we could really lift our voices to you right now and just praise you and worship you in spirit and truth. Let's worship them as we close.
Amen. God bless you guys today. We got like half an hour before the next service. So listen, there's coffee out there and brothers and sisters in the Lord. So go fellowship with someone and be blessed today. Again, God bless you.